Tonight we come to a, to a portion of Scripture, and we're going to look at this issue of prayer, that, that Abraham was, was, was a man of prayer. He, he was a, a person that had an intimate relationship uh, with God, and we're going to look at uh, exactly what that means. Now, that tonight we've entitled this message uh, a bucket, which simply is, is like a, a climbing term, which means this. It means like the most secure handhold. It, it, I mean, it's like this deep end cut into the, into the rocks. Uh, it, it's like grabbing the lip, if you will, of a bucket, and it's, so it, it's one of the most secure handholds in, in climbing. And so what Scripture teaches us this is that it, it's prayer. It's prayer that gives the believer, as the believer's making the climb of faith, the journey of faith, it is prayer that gives the believer like this secure handhold or a, a secure footing. And so we've been, we've been journeying together through Abraham's life, and we've learned that Abraham is far from perfect. He's an average man. He's a man... Uh, and a person just like us to where he, he wasn't perfect, he had imperfections, he had struggles in life. And, 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 and Jesus taught on this issue of prayer, and Jesus taught that you should pray and, and not give up. And so in life, you have, you have two choices. You can pray or you can give up. And if you don't pray, that, that you're going to give up in life. And so this issue of prayer is just a natural expression of a, of a believing heart. And so I, I want to talk to you about this issue of prayer tonight in Abraham's life and a little bit in, in my life. And, 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 and I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey with you of learning what does it mean to deepen in prayer? What does it mean to deepen and be aware of the supernatural and some of the things that are going along around you? And so in just a few seconds, we're going to get to Genesis 18 and 19, but I, I want to give you a principle. The first principle is this, effective prayer begins with a friendship with God. Effective prayer begins with, with a relationship, with a friendship with God. Abraham, the scripture tells us, walked with God for about 25 years to this time. And so God wasn't some impersonal force. He wasn't some, he wasn't the big man in the sky. He wasn't the man upstairs. He, he, he wasn't a higher power. He, he wasn't any of those things to Abraham. Fact is, to Abraham, God was like, he had, he had a personal relationship with him. He knew him and, and, and he walked with him. Uh, there, there, there's a man uh, that has meant a, a great deal to me in the area of prayer. His name's Pastor Tommy. He's one of the associate pastors now at, at Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. And so Pastor Tommy, honestly, is about the age of Abraham. I mean, he is, he is well, Abraham at this time. Uh, he is like eight, he's in, in his late 80s. And so he had pastored for a long time, of course, and now he's like in his late 80s. And he's, he's an associate pastor, still, still serving. I mean, he's like a hero of mine. And so Pastor Tommy is one of those guys that everybody knows has a prayer life. I mean, you're just around Pastor Tommy, and you know, like, he, he spent time with God. So he tells his story. When he, when he was a senior pastor, he was pastoring a, a church, and it was, a, it was an older church. And it was his birthday, and so he church, and, and this lady walks up to him and says, Pastor Tommy, uh, I, I've made you a cake, and she's, she's an elderly lady. And so and she says, I've, I've made you a cake for your birthday. Happy birthday. And she gives him his favorite cake was a chocolate cake, and he told her thank you. And so he took it home, and, and that evening, you know, his family gathered around the table, and they sang happy birthday to him. They cut the cake. Everybody took a slice of the cake. They took their first bite, and it was, like, awful. I mean, it, it was, like, horrible. And so Pastor Tommy says the only thing his wife could figure out is that she got confused about the salt. Either she, she put like, she thought, it was, she thought it was flour and, then she, and it was salt or, they don't know, but it was so salty they could not eat it. And so they, they just, they threw it away. So his wife looks at Pastor Tommy and says, hey, Tommy, what do you, what do you, she's going to ask you next week in church, she's going to ask you how was the cake and, and what are you going to tell her? And he goes, I don't know what to tell her. I don't, don't want to lie. 
but I don't want to hurt her or embarrass her. He said, you know, you know that scripture where Jesus says, don't worry what you will say when they drag you into the synagogue and the church and, 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 the, and the courts, that I will give you the words at that moment. I'm just going to trust God. He'll give me the words at the moment that I need. And she says, that's risky. And so, uh, so he goes to church the next weekend. And so sure enough, she runs up to him, Pastor Tommy, how was the cake? Did you guys love the cake? And he said, just real quickly, he prayed, God, you better give me something because right now I got nothing. And so all of a sudden, he looked at her and said, Mary, a cake like that doesn't last long in our house. (laughs) He didn't lie, and he didn't hurt her or embarrass her. I mean, Pastor Tommy was one of those guys. I mean, when you just start start listening to his life, and you realize he's a person of prayer. And he's a person that, that understands this issue of prayer. Genesis chapter 17, 1 says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and, he said, and, and, and God said to him. So Abraham had this, this posture of worship, this posture of prayer. He didn't mind expressing himself in worship. He didn't mind expressing himself in, in, in prayer. And so no matter how big you and I get, uh, we still have to walk with God. I mean, we still have to walk with him. James 2.23 says this about Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was, called, he was called a friend of God. In other words, he had a relationship with God. And the way that he had a relationship with God is he talked with God, and God talked to him. He, he, had, this, he had this personal relationship with him. In other words, God wasn't some distant force that was uninvolved in, in his life. Genesis chapter 18.1, as we just journey through this together, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of memory as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. In other words, Abraham had had walked with God long enough that he could recognize the supernatural. He could recognize that these aren't aren't three ordinary people. Genesis 18.3, as we go on, and he said... O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass your servant. In other words, words, stay stay a while. In other words, let me me come into your presence. In other words, let me me spend time with you. Verse 8, as we just drop down, he says, Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. In other words, Abraham was this person that, that he understood the supernatural. He, and he welcomed supernatural visitors, unlike many mon, uh, modern Christians who, who try to keep God at a distance. Do not understand that he's personal. Do not understand and able to see some of the supernatural, some of the things that go on around you and go on in, in your life. And so Abraham was this guy that he was comfortable because of his relationship with God with the supernatural. Ver, verse 10, then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. In other words, Sarah knew that Abraham prayed. Sarah knew that Abraham life journaled. Sarah knew that her husband was like the spiritual leader. And he had this spiritual life and like she's listening in on this thing. And God had been predicting and God had been talking to them for 25 years. But this is the first time that God's like giving them a date. Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. 
So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So Sarah is like 89. Abraham is 99 at this, year, at, at this, at this time. And, and we know she didn't. We know she didn't believe God because if you tell an 89-year-old woman that she's going to have a son, she will not laugh. She will cry if she believes that, right? I mean, she's like laughing. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you, and, and about this time next year, Sarah shall have a son. I love this part, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. And he said, yes, you did. You laughed. <laughs> I heard you. And the Bible says these, these three men were about ready to leave. And Abraham walked along with them because he wanted to be in their presence. He wanted to be in the presence of God. In other words, Abraham was comfortable talking about the supernatural. For him, the word and a relationship with God was, was personal. And it was real. He, he had developed a close relationship with God, so he, he was like aware of the supernatural. God wants more than, listen, God wants more than just an occasional prayer, and he wants daily fellowship. And I, man, I, I am learning that. This last year, I've been transparent and honest with you and told you our family is learning more and more about prayer than we've ever let, learned in any season of our life. And one of the ways that we become friends with God is when we're obedient to his instructions and and we, we, we come to know him by reading the Bible and understand that it, that, it, that it is God's word and it applies to us. And that's the way we know his will and that's the way we know his mind. We come to know God by worshiping. I mean, Abraham said he like fell down on his face before God. I mean, he worshiped him. And we, we, we come to know God through fellowship and relationships with Christians and, and other people. And we come to know him by spending time with him in, in prayer. And, and if you're ADD like me, I mean, I, I, I honestly have gotten to the point where I'm kind of embarrassed to say this because I get so easily distracted. I have to write my prayers out. And, and, and there are times that I write my prayers out and then I read them back to him just to try to stay focused. Remember, remember where Abraham was? He was sitting under a tree. He was waiting on God. He's waiting to come into an experience of God. He's waiting to come into the presence of God. I want to be a person of prayer that I understand I recognize the supernatural, I recognize what's going on. Three months ago, God did something in my life to help deepen me in this area through an experience. I, uh, I, I, I was playing golf. <laughs> a lot of my illustrations I know are about golf, but... Uh, <laughs> And so I, I was playing golf with two other, two other gentlemen. That's using the term loosely. Two other guys. <laughs> and, um, and so we had three people playing. A guy walked up, who had stopped in the clubhouse. I did not know. Says, hey, can I join you? And so we're like, sure. And so he, 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 he joins us. And, and so we, we, we play golf. And we're, we're done playing golf. Uh, I went to my car. Everybody, I thought, went to their cars. And then I realized, you know what? Um, I hope this isn't too much information, but it, it, it applies to the story. I, I need to go back in and, like, use the bathroom. And so I go back in the clubhouse, use the restroom. I am walking out. And here that, here that new guy is that I just met. 
and he's standing waiting for me in an area where nobody else was. And so as I walk out, he says, hey, can I, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, sure. And he said, uh, strange deal. This last weekend, I realized I need to change my life. I realized something has to change. And I'm so embarrassed to admit that because I'm, I'm old, I'm retired, I should have gotten this by now. But I realized something needed to change. So I decided, well, maybe I need to go to church. Never gone to church in my life. So I thought, huh, maybe, maybe I'll give church a try. And so I decided to ask the Google uh, about churches in Pueblo. And this church came up, Fellowship of the Rockies. And then I noticed you guys live stream your services. So I says, oh, it'd be better. Since I've never been to church, I'll do it this way first. It's less intrusive. And so I, I viewed the sermon online. And it was exactly what I was going through. And then four days later, I'm paired up with you on a golf course. And then on hole number three, I realized, oh, no, it's the preacher. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe God's trying to get my attention. I'm like, you think? It taught me a lot. It taught me a lot of times there's something supernatural going on that if we're not careful, we're not even aware of it. It's caused me to look at activities differently in my life, whether it's golf or whatever. So just to begin to pray even before and say, Lord, you know who I'm going to meet. You know who I'm going to talk to. You know the situations and you, you, you know what they need in their life. Would you help me to be sensitive to you? And would you help me to be sensitive to them? Because really, you you just take golf, and the only way we're going to redeem golf is add a spiritual element to it. God doesn't care about our handicaps. Our handicaps, thank the Lord, are not going to heaven with us. But maybe the people we minister to and people we reach. See, Abraham was that guy. Abraham understood that it's this issue of prayer that is like a bucket. It's, It's like... It means everything. Here's here's another thing about effective prayer. Effective prayer is powerful and effective. I don't know why I said effective twice. (laughs) Because it's really effective. Uh, James chapter 5 verse 13. Here's what the scripture. James was known as a person of prayer. In fact, it's James. Just a little tidbit. His nickname was Camel Knees. Because he prayed so much, he had like knots in his knees from, from kneeling. And so, so verse 13, James is writing. He says, anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of, of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will, will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed f- fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the or- earth bore its fruit. I mean, in other words, so now we've seen two examples. James, that the scripture says is a person just like us. Abraham, 
a person just like us. And then we read this text and we realize that the word prayer comes up like seven different times in this text. And James had this reputation of being a person of prayer. James, you're around James, you're around Abraham, you know that there's something different about them. They, they, they like spend time with God. And they had this tremendous power because of this issue of prayer. Really and truly, when you look at prayer, prayer is the greatest privilege of the Christian because we can have a relationship, we have a conversation with a holy and a righteous God, and we can tell him our hurt and we can tell him our needs, and we can, we can have a relationship with him. I mean, our, our greatest responsibility, and maybe sometimes our greatest failure in the Christian life is this issue of prayer. We, we talk about prayer a lot, and we talk about how important, but how often do we practice it? And so the question today before we take of the Lord's Supper in a few minutes is, when should I pray? When should I boldly pray like James did and like Abraham did? Well, we're going to use the James text and we're going to come up with three things that when these three things are going on in your life, that's when we should boldly pray. The first one is this, when I have emotional pain. James talks about two types of sicknesses, an emotional sickness and a physical sickness, an emotional healing and a physical healing. And so the first thing that we're going to look at, we're going to look at this when I have emotional pain. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Well, guess what? Let him pray. In the Greek, this little, literally means to suffer misfortune, to be in distress, to be understressed, uh, to be under tension. In other words, it's this, it's, it's it's, it's internal distress because of external circumstances. It's something that is happening outside of you. That it, whether it's a situation, whether it's a circumstance, whether it's a relationship, whether it's, whether it's something financial, whether it's something going on in the country, we got plenty of that. Uh, but if there's something external that is causing internal distress, internal stress, internal tissue, this is what the scripture is talking about. To where your, your heart may be breaking because something that is happening outside of you. I mean, Psalm 18.6 says, In my distress I call upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. In other words, this. Remember when we started this journey off together? We used Hebrews 11 about what is faith. It, it is believing that God exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Listen, if you do not believe that God has a benevolent heart towards you, if you do not believe that God desires to bless you and to help you, then you will never go to him in prayer. And so now we see this fleshed out again in, in Psalms 18.6 about he understood that, guess what? God hears me. God hears me in my pain. And God, God has his ears that are, are reached to me, and he, he, he responds. In other words, when we have emotional distress in our life, we, we pray when it's causing when it's causing tension in our life, here, here's what's so interesting to me. Where, 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 where James said, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. And then, and then the next verse, is anyone happy, let him sing songs of praise. Have you noticed that, that sometimes life is in the tension of that? Is in the tension of suffering and praise. Suffering are, are, are good things going on in your life and some difficult things going on in your life. Life to me, is a lot like railroad tracks to where you stand inside of, of two rails. And on, on this side, on this rail, is like some good stuff, some blessings that are happening in your life. But on this side is some, some, some bad stuff, some stuff that you wish wasn't there. In fact is we'll have conversations. We'll say, you know what, if this stuff over here wasn't happening in my life, my life would be perfect because of all the stuff over here. But we know that's not, that's not doable, right? This is life. We live in a fallen world. We live in a difficult world. We're all, listen, we're always, you're always going to have 
good stuff and bad stuff going on at the same time. And life is learning how to navigate between the two. And what he says, the bucket helping you to get a, a, a secure, secure hold in this and between the two is this issue of learning to pray and learning to come into the presence of God corporately and privately. I mean, the, the psalmist said in, 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 in Psalms, he said, he says, I, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. In other words, I wasn't bitter. I wasn't mad. I wasn't sad. In other words, in other words, I, I was glad there's, there's a place of, of celebration. And so the next thing is when we boldly pray, what James says is when we have physical pain, emotional pain, and then physical pain. James 5 verse 14 says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the word in the Greek, sick, literally means without strength. I mean, it means you're totally wasted. You're, you're like fatigued. You're, you're bedridden. Uh, you're, you're unable to work. I mean, this isn't just acid indigestion or post-nasal drip. I mean, this, I mean, this is like, it is like terminal. It is like paralyzing. This word is the most frequent word in the, in, the, in the New Testament used for illness. This word was used for Lazarus. When Lazarus, his sickness ended in death, and, and like Jesus took care of that whole thing, but that was the word that was used. It was the same word at the man uh, by the pool of Bethesda. When he, he was there for like years, week in and week out, and he did not have the strength. He kept asking for someone to help him to like, like get into the pool. This is the same word that is used. And so now we know James is talking about this issue to where like there may not be any earthly answer. I mean, see, the thing that I like about James, and it's so practical, is this, is James recognized two facts, is that God does heal and God still heals, but not everybody gets healed. So James says when you get sick, you, you call the leaders. And we, we find that in 1 Peter chapter 5 and Acts chapter 20 and, and Titus chapter 2 and James chapter 5. And James says when, when, when you're like that, you pray and you get the ministry leaders together. You get ministry, that's why we have prayer partners. I mean, he says, he says you call and so who's, who's doing the calling, the sick person? I mean, you're the, because if you don't call, nobody's going to know. If you don't go down, nobody's going to know. I mean, this also implies that, you know what, in this time, everybody was a member of a local church. Everybody belonged to the church. Every, in other words, this, in their time, every Christian identified with a local body. Every person was like a member of a specific church because the Scripture teaches us, 1 Corinthians and, and other places, that the body ministers to us and prays for us and helps us and encourages us. In other words, this, that if we're not identified with a local church, who's going to encourage and help us? In other words, what James says, it is a sick person that takes the, the initiative. I mean, and that God is the healer. He said, in the name of the Lord. I, I never will forget about a year ago, and I don't think I've ever told this story, when, when Brittany, my, our oldest daughter, was di diagnosed with a brain tumor, uh, that next weekend, God had already worked it out, and I, I wasn't scheduled to preach. And so, I, so we, we get the diagnosis. I'm not scheduled to preach. And so Karen and I drove to the Springs. We spent the weekend with Brittany and Corey and their family, and then we went to church with them. 
uh, Pete and Amanda. Amanda's my, uh, my uh, youngest daughter. It's going to give us another grandchild in, in, in a few weeks. Glory, hallelujah, amen. So, uh, <laughs> and so we all went to church together. Tough weekend. First time I heard this lyric in worship that says the cross. Talking about the cross, Trey? The cross teaches my heart to trust. And we're in worship. In the conclusion of the service, they called people down for prayer. I still remember watching my daughter and son-in-law go down for prayer alone. And I watched her standing down front in her frail body, wiping away tears as, as the leaders are like praying over her. See, James talks about this issue of prayer and just this, this importance of prayer. The, the third and the last thing is when we boldly pray in faith is when, when I have spiritual pain. Is when I have spiritual pain. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, in, in Jesus' day, and unfortunately in some churches and some Christian streams in, in our time, people will taught that if, if you have a sickness, if you have an illness, it's a result of sin in your life. In other words, that, that if, if you're sick or if bad things are happening, then it must be because you have sin. And if you say you confessed all your sin, that's because you have a hidden sin. But unfortunately or fortunately for us, Jesus in John chapter 9 like blew this whole theory away uh, when, when he talked about this issue. I mean, you think about just how unfair this concept is. You think about babies being born with birth de defects. Obviously, the baby has not sinned. And so we, we, live, we live in a fallen world that has problems and, and there's hurts and there's, there's pain. And so, but, but Jesus did teach, just so we're tracking, Jesus and James did teach that there are some sicknesses that we bring on ourselves. There are some situations we bring on ourselves. In other words, if, if I don't take care of my body, if I don't eat right and sleep right and exercise right, I'm glad Karen's not here tonight. I'll, I'll cut that out in the next one. She'll be in the next one. Then, all kind, then, then I could have physical problems, right? If, if I don't listen to God's word, where God's word says, do not be anxious for anything, do not worry, but pray about everything. And if I fret, and if I get anxious, and if I carry stress, then, 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 and I get an ulcer because of that, then, then I have to blame that on myself. If, if I allow resentment or bitterness to build up in my life, doctors tell us that resentment and bitterness can do all kinds of things to, to the body. If I, don't, if I don't trust God and allow these things to come into my life, then, then there can be problems. And so James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's, and so a lot of times people will ask and say, well, why isn't everybody healed? I don't know. I mean, God has obviously the power, but sometimes he has a, a different purpose. That's what happened with Paul, right? When Paul prayed three times in Corinthians. And God told him, I, I, have, I, have, a different, I have a different purpose for you. I will be glorified through your struggle and through the thorn in your flesh. We know this for thousands of years. The local church has prayed for the sick and comforted the sick. That's our role as a local church. And so Paul begins talking about this issue. That sometimes revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. Confess to each other. Does it mean I confess to the whole church? 
No. There's a principle called the circle of confession. And so you only confess as widely as it's involving other people. If I've got a private sin and it's just between me and the Lord and nobody else knows, then I confess it directly to him. If it's a personal sin between me and you or me and another person, then you know what? Scripture says I need to come to you. If it's a public sin, then I may need to confess it to the sin. But he says you confess your sins. Don't broadcast your sins. As a pastor, I've had people come up to me before and say, hey, I just want to let you know I forgive you. And I'm like, I didn't even know you were upset at me. Yeah, I was mad about a decision you made. I've carried it for this many years, and so I finally decided to forgive you. Well, that helps. I mean, I didn't even know what I did. It, you, you confess it as is, is public as it's, as it's known. See, this is why it's so important that you have at least one person in your life. A husband, a wife, a, a friend, a pastor, an accountability partner, whatever you want to call them that you can share anything with and you know they won't judge you, you know they won't condemn you, that you can say, hey, this is going on in my life, I need to pray, I need to confess this. I mean, I, I have that person. And I think every one of us should, should have that person. And guess what? To develop that person, it takes years. It takes years to build that trust. There, there, there's a verse in, Je- in Job, we don't even have time for this. This is, like, this is like bonus material now, it's just for free. Somewhere in Job, it says that, that, that a man needs his friends most when he's doubting God. You know, that's what James is saying about this, personal, about this emotional sin. He said, you need to pray for some people when they're going through suffering, they stay faithful. You need to pray for them when they start doubting God, they continue to trust. You need to pray for them that as they walk, I mean, there's something about this confession. I mean, when, when, you, when you look at the New Testament, just... When you look at New Testament, New Testament believers confess one to another. They, they, they had this. During the Dark Ages, uh, they, they confessed to, to the priest. Freud said this, that we're to confess to the counselor. You know the problem with Protestants? Protestants believe we don't confess to anyone. That's why we have problems. And what James is saying is this. Is that when we develop these relationships around us that we can trust... And we come into a personal relationship with him through prayer. Something changes in our life. Listen, I'm, I'm on this journey with you. Pastor Tommy, he would tell you I haven't arrived. I know more today at 89 years of age than I did when I was in my 60s.